This episode of the Internal Comms Podcast is brought to you by Acid Test, AB's unique and powerful tool for aligning organisations around a common cause. Now, we all know communication does not equal understanding. If it did, well, our jobs would be a lot easier. The acid test of internal communication is whether there is shared understanding. Is the goal clear? Are we all pulling in the same direction? Do we share the same priorities, the same purpose? Acid test is a powerful tool that reveals knowledge gaps inside organisations. It's unique and proven methodology gives you the insight and information you need to drive performance by creating deeper understanding and alignment. Now, listeners, you know how fond I am of asking open, probing questions that hopefully reveal fresh and genuine insight. Acid test is not a tick box survey. Instead, the method is a message. Simply taking part in acid test makes employees feel heard, understood and valued. Visit abcom.co.uk forward slash acid test to find out more. Download a PDF to discuss with your team and arrange an informal call to discuss acid test with me and my AB colleagues. So that address again for you, abcom, abcom.co.uk forward slash acid test. Now is the time to take a privileged peek inside the mind of your organisation by asking the questions that matter. Acid test, a communications audit without the autocomplete. Welcome to the Internal Comms Podcast with me, Katie McCauley. Listeners, our digital channels have undergone a revolution in recent years. Since the invention of the World Wide Web in 1989, the growth of email and intranets in the 1990s, and then the explosion of mobile technology sparked in no small part with the launch of the first iPhone in 2007. So how do you feel about today's digital landscape? Are you excited by the opportunities to connect with your employees in new and dynamic ways? Or are you just a little bit frustrated, maybe even perplexed, that despite this endless list of options, SharePoint, Workplace by Facebook, Slack, Office 365, the ever-increasing number of IC apps, digital comms is not exactly where it can be and should be inside your own organisation. Well, let's attempt to get to the bottom of this by asking some tough and pertinent questions of an expert in the field. Frank Wolf spent seven years in e-business consulting at Accenture. Then at T-Mobile, he was responsible for social technologies and collaboration solutions. Six years ago, he co-founded Staffbase, the employee app solution with a global customer base. 
Frank is also the author of Social Intranet. And when we come to talk about intranets, you'll hear that he has a far more progressive and customised platform in mind than many of the intranets that I've tried to navigate over the years. So, while I have Frank in the hot seat, I ask him a number of probing questions. How do we best build a business case for a new digital solution? How do we choose the best technology partner? What are some of the smart questions to ask? How can we increase our chances of implementing a new piece of technology successfully? Should we run a pilot? And if so, what kind of pilot? And of course, that old chestnut. How do we calculate the return on the investment we're making in new technology? So here's Frank to answer all these questions and more. So Frank, thank you so much for joining me on the Internal Comms podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks a lot for having me. Really, really great to be here. I think we have to start with a very obvious question. Given where we are, months into COVID-19, what's your take on this worldwide experiment in working from home? We're in this situation where a business might have, I don't know, 12,000 employees before they had three sites, and now they've got 12,000 employees and 12,000 sites. What's your take on that in terms of employees' use and perception of workplace technology? Indeed, if it wouldn't affect us, you could say it's a great experiment that we all can watch and, and be here, right? But uh, on the other hand, it's a, it, I think it's a real struggle for companies and uh, their employees as this drags on and drags on. And I think we all know it's going to last a lot longer than that, uh, we all want it to, to last. I think on one hand, a lot of the downsides is, is, are things that we don't see yet at all. They will come like if it affects really your culture and uh, also mental health and other things uh, to be seen. A lot of people are excited right now because they say, wow, I couldn't, I couldn't believe that it actually works. I don't have to travel so much. We've seen voices like from the, from, uh, the CEO of Microsoft who said like, we've seen transformation of uh, two years in two weeks. And we hear voices from just last week from the Siemens CEO which is saying like we will have an entirely different policy around home office and so on. So there's a lot of change. Um, and I think the, the big question will be for communicators, what does it mean for them and their job and their like the, also the demands that they have, right? Let's dig into that in a little while about how IC teams in particular need to adapt to the changing circumstances that they find themselves in. But I just like to set this whole conversation in slightly in a historical context, if we can, and sort of wind the clock back. In preparing for this interview, I found a paper written in 1995 by a guy called Stephen Tellen, and he is kind of announcing the birth of intranets. And he says, these are going to be, and I quote, a powerful stimulus for the collaborative development of new concepts and ideas. And I read that and I thought, oh dear, what happened? Because there was such early promise with these intranets in those early days. What's your take on 
why we got into such a pickle with internets and they didn't quite live up to that early promise. Fantastic quote. I think I would start off and say, I feel we all are not uh, really fair to intranets, right? If you think about what happened before that time, like if I would join a new company, how I would get information about like who are my colleagues or what's the culture about or a company updates, we don't even remember how this actually worked, right? So intranets per se were a big step forward for companies to create more transparency and to create kind of a digital home place for a company, right? The challenge that they had over time, and you see this with different types of intranets, is pretty much, we. I, I believe we always wanted a bit too much from them, right? They were there and you were saying initially, oh, can you please solve our knowledge management problem? We want to organize all our resources in there, right? Um, and then we had the employee portals and we say, can you please solve our, our all integration problems? We have these nice portals where I can uh, have my vacation set up or my timesheets. I want to have this in one place with the intranet. So the intranet always had the burden of, of carrying a lot of expectations in organizations. And uh, we all know what happens if there are too many expectations. You, even if you do well, you fail uh, from the outside. So we were just being a little bit overly ambitious then with what we were trying to do with them from from what you're saying. That's probably the the core of it. And that's also what changed over time. What do you think an intranet should do for an organization? What's the goal of of, of this that really changed um, over time? As I said in the beginning, it was news and and, and organizing resources, kind of the, the internal website. Then you had this... I want to have a portal for employees to do all their so-called employee self-services, right? And then at the next trend, you had this, this trend around social intranets that was at the time when we had Web 2.0, all these uh, apps like Facebook and, and others coming in. And there again, the intranet was got another burden uh, to carry. Yes. And I read a paper from you, uh, and in fact, we'll put a, a link to this on uh, your blog, actually, where you talk about the next generation now, which is really around the employee experience, the digital experience of the employee. So is that how you see then it moving towards what, what was social and is now a more encompassing digital experience? Absolutely. And to be fair to all these older generations, I think each of these generations had some really good innovations that we see in what, if, if you see a great intranet today, you will see that they are pretty good at organizing uh, content. They are pretty good at also integrating other services. Uh, they're also pretty good at being social and interactive and uh, having, uh, uh, getting a conversation going. So that's, that's all these things that that they've done and they've uh, picked up what we just think like the next generation will have to focus even more on the employee and the employee experience of the workplace because um, usually intranets very much focused on just people sitting in front of their desk and you have so many other groups of employees and also uh, not just in terms of their work type, but also in terms of their employee journey. So this is my first day at the company. That's an entirely different thing as if it's my last day at the company, you know? So we believe uh, the next generation of intranets will think uh, a lot more around where is the employee right now 
in a in a role in a journey and what could the employee need for exactly that moment so that's much more of a personal experience tailored to the individual is that what you're saying absolutely absolutely and that's also what we see outside in the apps that we use every day and that where we are amazed by how deep they understand our personal needs and they Amazon suggests if you had this, maybe you want to buy another thing we see on Facebook, on LinkedIn, and so on. And that's what we see creates relevance for a user. And that's, that's after all, the big thing everyone is looking for. How can we create relevance of, of such a system? Because uh, that's what ultimately also keeps users coming back and really uh, creates also like the business impact of an intranet. Is the problem that's held us back in that regard the data that we capture? So it means somehow marrying up HR data, ensuring that's correct, that that's fed into the system correctly, that the data is read correctly. I mean, is that part of the big challenge to overcome here? Actually, that's more part of the solution as I see it, because uh, historically, you've seen intranets being very much a platform and a tool for the communications department or IT, uh, whenever you look at also like the, the collaboration part of it. Um, HR in many cases was a bit outside of what the intranet could deliver, right? They had their own applications, their own tools, sometimes even like their HR portal in many companies. And what you know from HR, HR has a lot of data, like where people work, what their role is. And that data actually helps to kind of personalize my experience on a very basic level without the need that I do it actively. We call this passive personalization because it just happens. I just see things where I say, hey, that's relevant. I don't know how they did it. I, it just makes sense to me. In the world of, of social intranets and, and the whole social stuff before, you had the other way. I had to uh, sign up to a group and, and things like that. And you see in a lot of these usability studies, a lot of people never do it, never do any active things. And even if they've done it once, maybe at the login, they never go back and change that. So the more we can do this really based on data that we have and, and the user itself, it's, it's just using the platform, the better. That's music to my ears because it always struck me as odd that we'd spend a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of resource getting into the minds of our customers and clients. That's hard work because, you know, we don't own those people. So we have to find ways of finding out what they're thinking and feeling, their emotions, their whole persona, if you like. But employees, you know, we should really know quite a bit about them. And if we don't, we can walk down the corridor and ask. So this, I think you said passive personal sort of tailored experience makes so much sense to me. I just wonder what you see as the barriers that IC teams need to overcome to get there. Because it sounds wonderful, but I can imagine a lot of people listening going, you know, our intranet was built in, you know, 1895 and I still can't do the most basic thing. What are some of the barriers that IC teams need to think about and overcome to get there? Let's start not with a technology barrier because there is there is new technology for that. Um, I think one of the big barriers that we see is a perception of the role of internal communications. And uh, we do a lot of quite some surveys uh, around this. And we, uh, as part of the service, we, we ask a question, how do you see your role? And we give two options. And one option is, is your role the role of an internal, like say, enabler? 
of communication where you enable all levels to communicate within the company? Or do you see yourself more as kind of the, the writer? The, 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 you're sitting at the table of the CEO and you're discussing this and you're kind of the internal journalist. And we see that on average, about two-thirds of people say they see themselves in a more modern enabler role and the others more the traditional, I'm, I'm, I'm writing stuff, you know? And I think if you go more into employee personas, and to give you an example, let's think about a big company and you have a big site like a plant somewhere. At the plant, you have 5,000 employees. You will have a lot of these have pretty much the same persona. They're on the shop floor. They have the same needs. They have the same barriers. So the, I think the main challenge is how can I enable a local communicator, could be part-time, could be full-time at this site, to think about exactly these people, right? So if more people can think about different needs and personas, the better for the communication, right? And that's that's the first step to really go there, understand the personas. Don't make this too granular. If you end up with 300 personas in your company, that's not actionable. But on the other hand, at, at a lot of projects uh, we've done before, and I think many of the listeners will also rem remember, each of us have, has been part of a persona workshop where we spent a lot of time creating personas and then these personas, they went somewhere we didn't do anything with it right and what we're just saying is now because of the technology because we have hr data we actually can do something with the personas you just need the structure in place and also ultimately the technology to make this work and as you say getting granular but not too granular yes uh, yeah absolutely it's a fine line yes it's a fine line and it's interesting also you say it comes back to what i see people think as their role yeah and are those you say those enablers just in terms of navigating today's digital landscape you've written i'm quoting you here so tell me that i've got this wrong if i have there is broad agreement among internet experts that the era of large monolithic platforms is over and I mean, I'm certainly seeing organizations grapple with an ever increasing array of digital tools uh, and platforms. You know, we've got Office 365, then you've got Workplace, and you've got Slack, and then you've got Monday, and then you've got, I don't know, Zero or whatever it is. How do we make sense of all this? Is it sensible to think at some point they need to all join up? How do we navigate that landscape? And do you have a way of categorizing some of these platforms and tools? I think that's a fantastic question. And it's uh, the, the complexity of this question is that if you asked this, uh, would have asked this 10 years ago or five years ago, you would have got a different answer all the time, right? Why? Because a lot of people look at the outside world and look at the external apps. And uh, there has been a trend to say it's at one point, uh, term for it is uh, single purpose apps, right? So whoever remembers, Facebook at some to uh, point uh, took out Facebook chat and put this into a specific app. And that was a big trend. And from, a, from an intranet perspective, first, that was a good trend because the older like social intranets, they try to do everything on one platform. So everyone agrees, yes, we need to cut this um, into pieces and pieces that work on a single or more uh, combined use cases. But what we had before was too big, right? Now, what happened on one side is like Microsoft 365, as it's called now, 
is coming with like more than 20 of these services. So now we got, we kind of went to the other extreme of it where people are overwhelmed and say, yes, the services themselves, they work pretty well, but I, it's so hard to, to get up your mind, like how can I combine them and how can I explain this to employees, right? So is there a trend to cut off and have individual services? Yes, and this trend will continue. On the other hand, as a communicator and as somebody who needs to explain all this to employees, you are in a pretty challenging position because it just creates complexity, right? And maybe the last thing around this, there are also very successful apps. Just take the Amazon app as an example, which are combining a lot of different services within one app, right? So that's that's really the case. It's not that the, the trend of single-purpose app really went through externally. So there are a lot of apps that all, all of us also use in everyday life are combining services where it makes sense. And that's kind of the, the big digital strategy question, I suppose. So is the answer then to kind of, you start with your personas yeah. and then you decide what those individuals need in terms of digital tools and platforms. And then you're clear about the objective of each one of those and where they need to connect, they do. And if they don't need to connect, don't worry about it. And it's absolutely okay if certain things do more than one thing now, because we've moved away from thinking you need, you know, one object, one, one tool, one objective, that's it. Yes, that's that's a perfect uh, summary. And here's one big thing that for that for comms is is very important in the whole context. The the thing is, if you are head of internal comms for a large company, your goal and you, uh, your clear task is to get out the important information that the company expects you to get out with a lot of reach, and and uh, you want to make sure that all people read this. So your big goal is to have your content side by side with other content that employees very much care about, right? In Germany, the first example would be you want to have the meal plan next to your comms. You can also have the shift plan next to your comms. But the big danger that you have as, a, as an internal comms professional today is to end up with a single purpose news app just for your news. And everything else that employees care about happens somewhere else, which makes it very easy for employees to ignore your news, right? Uh, so this kind of, uh, to give you an example from the from the Microsoft world, right? A couple of uh, consultants would probably come in and say, yes, the interaction, the collaboration happens in Microsoft Teams, the buy and sell channel or the social channel could be in Yammer and the news are in SharePoint. If you actually do that, this means employees would use maybe Teams, they use Yammer, they would never open the SharePoint app on their mobile phones, as an example. So it's very important to understand, I want to be where kind of everyone else is, where the party is, like in, in the party, everyone's standing in the kitchen, you know, uh, as we all know. So as a communicator, you want to be in the kitchen too, probably, uh, with your channel. Basically, you want to go where the action is. It's much easier to meet people on their turf, where they like to be, where they want to hang out and have those conversations than it is to create your own 
empire somewhere else and invite people to it and hope they might drop drop in. Um, that's what you're saying, basically. I think that's, that's what I'm saying. And there's a there's this one big let's say if, and the big if is uh, uh, especially what we've seen with social intranets that communicators or like companies combined all that you would have in a typical intranet with collaboration spaces and collaboration tools, right? Um, and that's a challenge. And it's a challenge because this collaboration area, that's big. It's noisy. It's messy. There are a lot of channels and it's very hard to be, to get through there, you know? That's why it's it's a, it's a big discussion, and I'm I'm a bit a big uh, advocate for it. Not to say today, okay, we have things like Teams, Microsoft Teams, or Slack, to collaborate, and you could also add, could I just open up another room in there and use this for internal comms? I would say that's probably too noisy, right? So that's a very big kitchen uh, with a lot of people in there, and you are very just one voice out of hundreds or thousands of others. So it's a trade-off between not being on yourself with your own channel, but also not going deep into the noise. And that's kind of the trade-off. Um, if uh, somebody comes at a project today, like say, hey, let's think about a digital strategy. That's exactly the strategy. Like which services are we combining that all employees should care about? And which of these services, for instance, collaboration is uh, something that can stand alone? That makes perfect sense to me because I hear what you're saying about that, if you like, the need to know and the nice to know. So, you know, as a senior team, I think everyone needs to know the strategy, but actually the employee might think, well, actually, that's nice to know. What I need to know is when my shift starts tomorrow. That's my need to know. So these things are quite different. However, I think, you know, you're right because I would not, if I've been away from work for two weeks and I wanted to find out the news, the corporate news that I'd missed. I wouldn't open, for example, uh, Workplace by Facebook because I would just get a lot of noise and a lot of discussion, but I, I wouldn't be able to find the news that I'd missed. So I, I'm absolutely with you. I think there has to be a place for that to live a home. But I suppose what we do with those discussion forums, for want of a better word, those discussion platforms like Yammer or Workplace, is we point people in the direction back to our news, if you like. So we can sort of... Meet them there and then say, oh, this is interesting. You might like to check out X and direct them back to our to our new, our, our home for news. Would, would that be a way of doing it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that's, uh, I think, also very good thinking around how to utilize these platforms for your strategy, right? It's, a, it's not saying you shouldn't be on Teams or Slack or Facebook. Um, you just should make sure that this is not the, the single channel that you put out. What's really getting very important in that uh, sense is, uh, as we call this, the internal branding of your channel, right? Because give you one example, if you have Microsoft Teams today and you would say, okay, I want to also bring in all the, the stuff that I bring out as communication in one of the team rooms there. You open up a team room that's called Corporate News, Somebody else opens up a room maybe with company news. Somebody else like saying local news. So people are confused. So your goal with the more platforms you have, your goal should be to have a clear internal brand. And that was pretty clear like 10 years ago. Everyone would agree with this. If you have an intranet, it would have a name. If you would have a printed uh, newspaper, it would have a name. Uh, we, like, we also think you need this name 
today more than ever, especially as you publish your content across platforms, right? So employees can see this again, especially also on mobile and so on, um, see, recognize the brand, have trust in the brand and say, okay, I know that's official, you know? Mm. I love that idea. I mean, we've been saying for years to to clients that this isn't a news channel. This is a news brand. Yeah. Because, you know, as consumers, that's what we're buying. We're buying into the brand, whether we buy um, the New York Times, The Economist, The Telegraph, whatever it is we're buying. Uh, And that brand, that news brand has a tone of voice. It has themes and issues and commentators and opinion writers that fit with the brand and it knows its audience. Yes. Um, And I I, I love it when clients get that because I think it's really, really exciting. Um, And it, it helps forge a deeper relationship with the people that Inter- interact with it basically as well absolutely absolutely and and you could even go further and say one big thing that brands do is reduce complexity in our decision making right so if you take one of our customers bmw if i hear bmw i know hey that's a fast that's a sports car you know so they achieve that they can attach this to their brand and this means for me it, there's a, it takes away complexity and the same if you have an internal brand that you have built up over the years, and I know this is the internal communications brand and it's coming from them, I just know if I like it or not, but I know this is official, right? And that's the big, big question that a lot of employees ask today with a lot of the, the things that they see. Is this official? Who said this? Right? Can I trust this? And mm-hmm. that's what this brand really, really can do. It's interesting that, that I think that's so right. We hear a lot of clients say, we need a single source of truth. I and mean, there's so much noise. At some point, you need a home for this single source of truth to know that's what's going on. I trust it. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. So here's a really difficult question for you. Well, possibly not for you, but I can imagine it could be quite... Yeah, it could be quite challenging. I'm I'm a new IC manager. I've rocked up to an organization. It's got an internet. It's got lots of other channels and platforms across its organization. Where do I start? What's the advice you give a new IC manager trying to kind of wrap their arms around this? We've talked about personas. Is, is that the place you start? Or do you go around and do an IT audit? Or, or do you just try and make friends with the IT team before you do anything else? What would you say should be a first step? I think uh, you mentioned one of them. I think like a comms audit, whatever you think is part of it is is always a good idea just to understand. And uh, what I also like about a comms audit is it kind of forces you sometimes to go into numbers and, and analytics and like really say, what are the channels? How are they performing today? And uh, that will give you a lot of also credibility in any sort of internal discussions, right? That's number one. I think another thing that I would advise a lot is care about technology. It's the key delivery vehicle for for what you do. Um, we've seen this during COVID nineteen, right? So the the communicators that had the technology in place, they could really focus on their work. They could focus on the feedback. They would they would be perfectly fitted. And who didn't have it in place, like spent. 50, 60, 70% of their time to figure something out, bring together channels and so on. That's uh, also important because a lot of the technology discussion is coming from an IT department in terms of, hey, we have this tool, maybe we can use this for that. Uh, In these countries, we have another tool. You just should know what they are talking about. You should take your time 
test tools, understand what's going on there. It will be more and more part of your job. You don't need to be a technical expert. There's no coding. You just should know the tools and the pros and cons. So that's that would be another advice. And uh, I think the last advice I would say, um, especially we see this with a lot of our customers having a lot of non-desk employees, which are not known to IT today. They don't even have an email address. And in many cases, nobody really cares about too much because from an IT perspective, you don't even know them. So comms is kind of the, the true advocate for them. Make sure you understand this role and make sure you understand the numbers. Uh, Two-thirds of people don't work at a desk. So comms is actually the role that needs to reach them and should know the numbers. Uh, go to a, a normal communications manager and say, how many employees do you have? They know this all. They say, yeah, we have 5,000. How many of them don't have an email address? Oh, I don't know. Well, I would say you should know because that's exactly the audience that you should advocate for. I love that. I love the idea of IC teams being advocates, as you say, for people at the moment that that don't have connectivity for whatever reason, especially at the moment, because they are the front line of many organizations delivering, you know, we've said it before, but delivering a bit of a lifeline at the moment. Absolutely. I've I've been in more than one inside more than one organizations where they've got something they call it an intranet and it was built on on a platform and software uh, someone set it up that person's now left the company no one really knows how to update the site there's a handbook somewhere but it's been lost and they just don't really know where to start in terms of is this a big overhaul? Do we migrate everything to a new site? How do you help people decide what's the right tool? Is there a way of weighing up these, these different providers? How do you do that? Because legacy has to be a big thing, doesn't it? The maintainability of these things has to be at the heart of that decision, presumably. Absolutely. And I think the, there's one big good news. The, the good news is that the huge trend on the market for all let's say, enterprise technology is software as a service. So you are not buying technology anymore. You're buying a service. And this means I, as a, as a non-technical person I, that never has set up a server or anything like this, I can just say, I want an intranet. And somebody delivers this intranet, hosts this intranet, does all the updates, and I can focus on my work. So that's what we see right now is a big shift um, in, in, in that uh, direction, which also enables a lot of communicators, HR teams and others buy technology as easy as never before because they don't have to involve IT anymore. Um, it's got some other challenges. There are points like shadow IT because uh, IT doesn't even know about the tools anymore because it's so easy. I just need a credit card and I can buy it, you know, but it's Altogether, it's very good news because it means you get good technology and it's it's updated and it's uh, it's not so big the question of uh, how do I migrate this and, and all this sort of things. That's that's these times are over and I think that's a, that's a good news. Okay, no, that's good. But I'm still going to ask you a bit of a sneaky question. This is a sort of poacher turned gamekeeper question. What's the clever question I should be asking when I'm evaluating two providers of a SaaS system, a software as service system? What's the clever questions that I should be asking to really um, interrogate their service? That's uh, uh, yeah, fantastic question. I think 
on one hand is whoever did any sort of selection process in their lives it can be also in your private life whatever first if you put in the time to speak to three to five to six seven vendors in detail you will learn a great deal about your requirements about state of the art about a lot of uh, things you should care about so take the time and do that and while you do this you will also learn which of the vendors really is part of is on a helps you to educate yourself right so that's that would be the basic advice and the other advice is obviously take the time to test that's the good thing about software as a service you can have a look at this uh, it's not like this uh, we build it for you one year and then maybe it works or not right you can test it in a much better way and there's a lot more transparency about who are existing customers can i talk to these customers can i talk to references maybe get a get an independent analyst report about the vendor so these sort of things there's much more transparency today than ever before so i think the the if you're willing to put in some work on this it's uh, it's very easy to come to a pretty informed decision What's your feeling around pilots? Are they a good idea or should you just make up your mind and go for it once you've done the analysis? It's a, that's a fantastic question. I would say, first, the old idea about pilots was to see if the system works technically, because if somebody develops something, you don't really know if that works and so on. With software as a service, this is gone. This, this, the things work. They work at probably one hundreds of customers already. You can see it. You can touch it. For, forget the technical part. It's it's there. What might be a pilot, and, and we typically say that there are good two good pilots and there's one bad pilot. One good pilot could be that you say, okay, I have this other system that I would like to integrate, or I want to set this up and see if this works with my user management, or I want to show it to my management. This is a two-week pilot where you have a specific goal, you can have a specific test list, do it. That's also great because you keep the energy together in this pilot. There's the other good pilot, which is where you say, okay, I'm a global company. I have 100,000 employees worldwide. I would like to pilot this in two countries. And I take the countries that are want to move the fastest and are like calling me every day and say, we want to start, we want to start. So you say, okay, let's let's pilot this in Denmark and in South Africa. That's also a good pilot because you learn from it and that's good. What's the bad pilot? The bad pilot is the three months or four months we roll this out to an unknown number of employees um, and we see if they pick this up. And because it's just three months, uh, we don't invest in it. There will be no good content. And afterwards, we do a survey how they like the system. That's a really bad pilot. So um, I think that's the, sorry for the long answer, but I think that's that's kind of our experience. That makes so much sense to me. I, I get very frustrated when I hear about pilots and it wasn't clear what the objective of the pilot was. So I love the idea of saying, there's just one key thing we want to test with these seven people. You know, we just need to test this. Does it do, Can they do it? Do they get it? Or as you say, a whole territory. Let's launch it properly, you know, with a launch campaign. Let's tell everyone why it's there. Let's put content on it and keep that content fresh and make it as real as possible. Yeah. Because that's a true reflection of how it might work as a pilot in other parts of the world. As a hint, how to do this, especially the short pilot, we actually do 
set up kind of a contract, like it's a, it's a two or three pages where we say, this is the pilot, these are the, the people that are involved, this is what we want to test, this is, this is the criteria that we want to test and so on. It gives so much good guidance to the whole group and also to the management that they see, okay, that's all I wanted to see is actually in there. So you can speed up a pilot a lot if uh, you plan this properly. So I just wanted to ask you about mobile, because, I mean, we know, we know we're, we're, we're our hands, we're, we're never far from our devices. I read somewhere the other day that we pick up the, our phones 2,716 times a day. And I don't know if that's true. It sounds an awful depressing. lot to me. It's depressing. <laughs> uh, so very, very depressing. But I've heard you say that responsive is not mobile and that mobile's not a feature. It's a strategy. And I just wonder what, when you say mobile, what do you mean by that? For me, it's a, it's it's even an emotional question. I, I've I've uh, developed developed intranets like for fifteen years before I founded Stuffbase, and that was this the big moment that I was so angry about all the time. Like new intranets come on the market, and everyone would be rave about the new intranet, and nobody would really build this for mobile use. To give you one example, you can have an intranet today that you launch, and you can say it's mobile. If I use a company device, if I use on the company advice, a so-called uh, virtual private network, VPM client. And if I log in every day, then I can see some parts of this intranet. So you could fairly say, this is mobile, right? And you could do the check mark. And if you have a conference and somebody uh, talks about the intranet, they would say, yeah, and it's even mobile. And we say, this is not mobile. A mobile intranet is, a, is an intranet that's actually used mobile. So ask the question, what percentage of the active usage of the intranet happens on mobile devices. And if that's a good number, if that's 50%, then it's a mobile intranet. And this means I can have this on a personal device. It's very easy to download uh, the app from an app, from, for instance, from an app store. I don't have to log in every day. I get push notifications if new content comes in. The content is valuable. So I'm really motivated to go in there. Mobile is so much more then just it's responsive. So that's why, um, yeah, still figuring out a way to to teach this to the, to the broader market. You and I are both on the same page here. When I see the word app, but what I'm actually seeing is a website that works on a mobile phone. I am not seeing an app. For me, it's mobile when it uses the features of the phone. So, you know, if it integrates, as you say, if I get push notifications, if I can take a photograph and upload it to the app, for example. So it's functional, not just a a responsively designed (laughs) website. Are there any particular obstacles that you see your clients having to sort of leap over when they launch staff base? Is there anything that they can do to avoid or mitigate those risks? You can actually attach some of these obstacles to specific groups you're working with. So one obstacle is, from an IT perspective, IT buy-in to say, yes, we want to do this. Uh, IT will probably, and that's entirely fair from an IT perspective, IT is scared of too many tools. So IT always will say, yeah, we have something already. Maybe this also works for that. So that's an obstacle. That's a discussion you need to have uh, with IT that they understand what it does and how it fits to a broader strategy. There's an obstacle around the users. You need to convince the users that it's not just 
corporate news that it's it's value and the question like what's in for me that you have a good answer for that right um typically what we see a, a ceo or the, or board level that uh, saying if you have a much faster way of communicating but also getting feedback you need them to buy into this and you need them to be open for that discussion for many organizations even an employee app is the first time they really have an open dialogue with all employees and that's what we see it's not just a technological change it's also change on how you do culture but on the other hand what what uh, i've seen again and again it's also a huge motivation for communicators to get feedback for the first time a real time feedback um, about their work about how valuable it is so uh, i i would never uh, want to miss miss out on that and maybe the last one struggle is uh, or obstacle is in many cases or in some cases there was a kind of a digital channel before so communicators tried with maybe a pdf that they did from the printed newsletter or other stuff that that failed because they just tried to digitize what they had in terms of the printed newsletter so they are a bit scared about this and say okay digital is easy to measure so it's easy to see if i fail that's why it's it's very important to understand this what's in for me side from the user once you launch it yeah i see what you mean there it is quite visible these things isn't it so yeah i i, I can imagine that makes people a little a little bit nervous just coming back to something we talked about earlier which is those employees that don't have a work email address what's your experience of sort of how welcoming they are of the idea of downloading a company app on their own devices. I'm assuming this is getting a lot easier now and that employees are much more willing and open and actually want it. I mean, they want it and they don't mind that it's on their own device. Absolutely. And I, I wouldn't say it's, it's not 100% say it's great. You give you one example uh, that we have a customer for five years now. It's Berlin Public Transport. It's 10,000 employees and you have all types of employees. So you have really young people that just joined the company. There we have about like really 100% usage rate of a, of an app. And you have employees who are like two or three years to retirement. They just say, I don't care, you know, just let me drive and I don't care. And that's also good. So they've seen year over year, still an increase of active usage because they also see how new generations came in. So I think that's absolutely what, what you will see in an organization. We have our best customers have a kind of an onboarding active rate of way more than 90%, but there are others where you struggle more. And you even have verticals, for instance, healthcare is one example where you struggle more than in others. Healthcare, it's really much needed, but in many cases, they have so little time during their workday. So you have to be very on point and precise on, on what you give them and what you provide them. And healthcare is also uh, pretty hierarchical. So you have uh, very different groups of employees. You need to be very sure that they have the freedom to exchange ideas and things like that. You just need to know the audience pretty well. And healthcare, by the way, is, is the vertical with, uh, from my perspective, spends the smallest budgets on internal comms for some reason. I think they would need actually the biggest budgets. But what I've seen, they spend the smallest budget on internal comms in general. So that's 
kind of their real differences. And I'm saying this because what we see is, is expectation management. As a communicator, if I launch something like this, I want to know, is this good? Is my result good? I have 70% of people in the app and they use it actively. Is this good? Is this a good benchmark or is this a bad benchmark? And it helps them so much to get uh, compared against others in their industry and not against a high-tech company, you know, um, these sorts of things. And that's, that's what we're doing on a very regular and active basis. Those newer generations coming into the workforce, presumably that's going to change the conversation that we're hearing a little bit about, which is, I'm not going to download this app because you're asking me to do work in my own time. You know, and, and, and there was this idea, well, so maybe before COVID-19, but there was this idea that we had a stop-start time. Uh, that was the time we were dedicated to work outside of those hours. You know, I'm not going to pick up my phone or my laptop for work purposes. The newer generations coming into the workforce, are they more thinking like, do you know what? I'm going to do this on my time, on my device, in a way that I want to do it. And I want to access it when I want to access it. So just always provide it and I'll make the decision when I access it. I think you are absolutely right. I think it's part of it is a generational topic that they're much more relaxed about it. On the other hand, my, my main answer here would be, on average, the usage of an app, if you use it very in a good way, it's about three or five minutes a day. Um, so it's, it's not like these social media tools where you, you should be in there for hours. It's really, if it's personal information, personalized, um, you read for three minutes and then you're off. And ideally, you come back the next day and read again for three minutes. So three minutes is very easy to bring this in the day. A lot of our customers, for instance, they send a push notification with important stuff right before lunch break or right before people leave uh, on their way home. They never sent this late in the evening. They never sent this on weekends and things like that. From what I see, this discussion is much more of a theoretic discussion before you do this. While you're doing it, it's, it's, it's much easier than you would actually think. So you must have seen, I'm guessing, quite a few business cases because at the end of the day, a lot of IC teams are probably, well, I know that they're having to build business cases to get the money to invest in an app. What are some of the best ones you've seen? How do we build that business case? It's a great topic. And I think the, there's one big change that we've all seen. I would say COVID-19 is the, is the biggest business case to come for exactly this, right? And these, uh, there's, a, there's a field called uh, business contingency planning. I think it will be, it has to be the standard of every contingency plan to say we have a reliable working communications channel to all employees, period. So that's, for me, that's already the business case. That's, it's done. So if for any reason, if that's not the case, I would say the best business cases always found a way to link this to a strategy, to a current transformation, and to the pain points of the company. So there's no generic kind of, the bad business cases are uh, you have like two minutes saved search time per day times 10,000 employees. That's, that's, I think, not very powerful. The powerful cases to say, okay, we want to reduce 
uh, work-related accidents by 10%. And we will, a part of the app is that we want to achieve that by with these measures, and then we can measure work-related accidents and near misses and things like that. So these are the strong business cases. So that's why even as a consulting company, you can advise companies about building business cases, but a lot of the input actually is in the in the minds of the people working at this company because that's at the end uh, what, what you really need to achieve. I love that so much. I mean, basically what you're saying is build your business case on the business. You know, you are, you are seeking to fix a business problem, not a comms problem. You just happen to be doing it with great comms. And the other thing you say about COVID is really interesting. I interviewed Shell Holtz a few a few weeks ago now on the podcast and he was invited to a big risk and compliance conference and everyone there was saying it's an international conference of risk uh, managers and directors and they were all saying this covid-19 is is nothing compared to what could happen and might well happen next which shocked me immensely because it's been awful for so many people um, but to think that actually this is the the dry run for something that the next pandemic could well be a lot more scary than this. So have something ready. Sounds like a really good idea. Absolutely. And I think it's a, it's it's really a big risk as a company. If you say I, I have no channel for like 50% of my employees to give them real-time information that reaches them within minutes or within an hour. Um, I said, we, here in Germany, we had companies that sent out letters to employees, right? So mm, yeah. that's a, that's a big risk. Which which sort of brings us on a business case, brings us a little bit on to, to measurement, how we measure the effectiveness of these tools. And I think we have moved on. I hope we've moved on from pure sort of vanity metrics, which is just about the volume of things. You would advocate a more meaningful measure of value. Would that be a, a fair thing to aim for? Absolutely. I think it's a... Uh, probably you can do like hundreds of workshops about IC measurement and pe- people would still come and still say, yeah, that's a huge issue. So it's a, I, I think it will be a big issue for a couple of reasons. And I would say, let's be fair, IC professionals didn't have numbers for a very long time. So a lot of the professionals around today, they didn't have it for years. And now suddenly they are expected to build uh, big cases with numbers and be numbers driven. I'm also running the marketing uh, here at StaffBase. So I, I know market in terms of numbers driven and analytics driven, marketing is way ahead. And uh, by the way, if, if that's interesting, if you, if you look there, there's so much to learn from this side of thing. One thing that's still interesting, uh, and there are different models ar- around measurement and IC measurement to measure on one hand, the, the, the input. So, how, for instance, how many articles did we write? You have the output, like how many people would read this? Um, you had the outcome where you say an outcome could be your the employee survey. People say they understand the strategy. 10% more understand the strategy of the company. And you would have even like the business outflow, which could be maybe 5% less uh, work-related accidents. We all know it's very hard, especially to link comms to these business impacts. Like the work-related accident, is this really based on comms or is this because we've changed some things in the building or the signage or whatever, you know? Um, the one thing that I still see, and, and I think that 
unfortunately will not change too much in the future. You will not find a business case in a dashboard. Um, the dashboard just gives you the number. It gives you the output of your comms and you won't see more. And it's really the next step. And that's, that's maybe if, if you ask like, what's the, what's the best way or how do we move forward there? We believe and I believe their comms is, is, is in a position today to influence behavior of employees and uh, to, to also impact employee experience. And there's a whole different field to measure employee experience. So you have all these pulse survey tools, employee survey tools, and they are surprisingly disconnected from communications, from intranets and so on. So if you would ask me about one, like look in the future, I would say it's about time that both are coming closer together, right? And to give you one example, what I would love to know in the future to say, okay, in my employee survey, I have two cohorts, one with a very good strategy understanding and the other one not that good. And then I can dive in and say, the ones that did understand the strategy, what type of content and channels are they consuming on our intranet? Did they watch a lot of video or what did they do that helps you to make these decisions? That's all information we don't have today, you know? So I think in the future, we need to co connect the dots even a bit more between measurement uh, of engagement and what we actually do in communications. That's so right. I mean, we all know that a lot of the time in most organizations, actually, IC doesn't own the employee engagement survey. It's HR that owns that. And, and, and comms might get two and a half questions that they're allowed to put in it. And the reason why often is that it's all benchmarked by industry. So they're all set to those questions, or a lot of them are anyway. Although the comparison between two pharmaceutical companies, even based in the same city, I'm not sure is always relevant. Because in my experience, um, having walked between two uh, in one week, the culture is so different. And also, who is your competitor? Because I remember working in banking and all of a sudden BMW was a competitor because they were launching a credit card. So, you know, your competitors can change quite quickly. More tailored, more joined up, more thought through measurement and also perhaps qualitative as well so we can see that this team over here really say that they understand the strategy let's go and test and ask them about the strategy and see if they really do know and then ask them exactly that why you know what brings it alive for you and have those conversations and maybe marry those two up might be quite quite powerful I'm guessing absolutely absolutely yeah. you've seen the maturing of intranets and technology, workplace technology over the years. What excites you about the future? If you fast forward in your mind, what could be happening? What will be on your wish list? What gets you excited about where we could go next? Mm. It really relates to comms. If you look at the history of intranets, they've mainly have been built with other purposes in mind, solve knowledge management uh, and, and, and self-integration stuff, self-collaboration. I think it's time for intranets at the core of what they need to do to be a comms tool and be a communications platform and be also look at, look at uh, modern marketing management platforms. They can do so much. There's so much also connecting the dots, what we just discussed about. And I think what excites me 
that hopefully we come in a position where comms gets tools and platforms that are just built for them and that are not, oh, we have this in place, why not use this? And I think that's, and that's, by the way, also kind of like our vision or our motivation as a company to say it's it's the time for comms. They are so important. Since COVID, we all know it again and again. Now let's give them the right tools to work. Mm -hmm. And presumably you must be making improvements and enhancements all the time based on how you see your clients actually using your app and what they need next for it. Or the, I don't know whether we call it an app or a platform, Frank. You tell me what I should be calling Starface, actually. That's not a bad, uh, that's not a bad question because I think the terminology gets us all a little bit confused. But yes, presumably all the time you're saying, oh, we can tailor this even more for our, for our um, clients just to focusing on this, this communication need. Exactly. Uh, so we call it staff-based platform and you can do pretty much different things with it. You can start off as an employee app um, or you can use it uh, and build it out as a full intranet. So you can, there are both options available. And to give you one example or two examples, typically uh, you would have said, okay, comms, all I need for comms is a blog. I want to write some news and people can comment and like, that's comms, right? So what's, the, the next level, as, as one example that we see, is um, I want to understand how I can increase my reach. So I want to have the information and saying, I've written this article, but I would love to see how many people opened this up because they've seen the push notification and opened this up on mobile. I want to see how many people opened this up because they've seen it on email. How many people have seen it in the stream of their app? Um, without the push notification. And then if something is very important, I want to say, okay, um, now 50% of employees have seen it. I would love, because it's so important, I want to push this again. I just want to push it to the other 50% who didn't open it, it yet, right? So there's so many details where it can come in or we just launched another feature that we call journeys, which means I can give a specific message like, on my first day, I can get a message from the CEO that, that tells me, hey, Frank, great that you're here. I see a little video where the CEO talks about the, the company values for two minutes. And on day three, I get another uh, like automated post from HR saying, hey, Frank, here's the checklist, what you still need to do. And after, after a couple of days, I get a survey that asks me, hey, how, were your, how was your first month? And there's so many ways to make communications more personal and really be there in moments that matter for employees. And that's way beyond what a blog and other things can do today. And that's pretty, pretty much what we think is so exciting, right? Mm. It's so it's so interesting because it strikes me that that is treating the employee much more like an internal customer. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you, if you know marketing platforms today, you have a lot more, and that's in, in the best sense of the world. It's not about selling anything. It's just being relevant at the time, at the right point, you know, and, and knowing and, and understanding. And on the other hand, also automating because um, we all know communicators don't get the budget and the resources. They are overworked all the time. So they want to automate, but they still want to be good and relevant. You know, How can you find a good trade-off be between that? And we believe that's all where technology can help in the future. 
It answers so many questions, that approach. One, it answers the question that I've been talking about for the last season on this podcast, which is the gig economy. So before COVID, the big thing was the gig economy. And how do we have these employees buy into us? Because really what they're doing is um, they've got a portfolio career. They work for six different organizations. Plus, they've got their own thing that they launched yesterday that's going to be the next big whatever whatever over here. But if you create an experience that feels like the organization knows them, touches key points in their journey, in their day, in their week, in their lifetime of that organization, you're building a really a real relationship with those individuals. And you're getting across, as you say, the values, the brand, all of those things. It's clicking for me and a little bit in my head because I think there's lots of questions at the moment about how organizations create a culture when people can't physically get in the same room, even if it's a very big room. But what you're describing is actually quite a personal, very personal experience, which is absolutely delivering the values and the culture and the personality of the organization. Absolutely. And I see this as a big trend. And it also correlates a lot with uh, what we talked about before with the internal brand, right? So that's, that's all coming together. And it will be important again. Like if you... Your, your gig worker works for five organizations and uh, has like five different Slack environments where they it doesn't create any sort of culture. It doesn't create any sort of understanding, belonging, whatever. It's just a very good work tool, but it doesn't do anything around what you need in terms of I get the appreciation and I get, I get an understanding that I work for this uh, specific organization with these values and this mission and this purpose, right? So that's why, that's where, where digital platforms, especially around communications, intranets, will have to go in the future. Mm, creating that sense of belonging and part yes. of a tribe. Yeah, really, yes. really. And, and a really unique experience for that, that environment. And then creating great ambassadors when those people leave and so often when they also then come, choose to come back. So it's, 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 it's powerful rounds, I think. Let's, let's head over to those quick fire questions then, if we may. So the first one is, what piece of careers advice do you wish someone had given you in your 20s? <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a great one. I, I think the, uh, there, there's some, one that stands out for me I uh, I founded Staffbase six years ago with with my two co-founders, and uh, we I was thirty nine at the time, and uh, typically we all know if you're thirty nine you're middle of life uh, you have a family you have so many things you need to be, take care of and so on there's there's a lot of pressure you know I would say if you want to start a company if you want to try something it's it's much easier probably in your 20s to do that, right? So just uh, you also have more energy and all this sort of stuff. Of course, you have more experience later on. But looking back, I think if, if for anyone who's, who's in a position and say, yeah, maybe I want to do this sometimes, try to do this rather earlier than later. So basically go for it. Yeah. Go for it. Go for it. Don't <laughs> wait too long just go for it because uh, I think it's a, a great experience. So what one book, journal or website should all communicators read? A very tough question, I know. I wouldn't go in a specific one. I would uh, select a topic. I already talked about marketing a lot. If you dive into marketing, you see there's one skill all great marketers have, and this is great copywriting. <laughs> so 
writing really good website copy, email copy, copy for any sort of uh, advertisement that you want to put out. And there's a lot of good research. There's a lot of good advice out there. And I think you can take most of this one by one and, and use this also for internal communications. Write better headlines, write better articles, and so on. So I, I would, if you just Google for copywriting, um, you will find a lot of this. And don't look at this down in terms of, oh, that's sales or marketing. The best advice, the best experts, like write about this. It's fantastic. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because in the early days of AB, so we're going back to the 60s, the company was founded even before I was born. It's that old. But we used to hire journalists because it was all about getting the facts accurate and getting them down on the page. And that's still important, absolutely vital. I always say to our writers, you know, if we, I don't know, spell the CEO's name wrong, we can't just print an apology in tomorrow's edition. We could lose the account. It's that serious. So accuracy really matters. But actually, what matters even more now is the story. And the story is not just a string of facts. The story is something that is emotive, that draws you in, that captures your imagination, is something that you're going to remember that triggers an emotion. For that, you need copy. I'm completely with you on that. I think that we talk a lot about channels and platforms, uh, but let's not forget content. (laughs) Absolutely. There's so much also like basic. One thing that I didn't know, like I learned... There's this rule. If if you, let let's say you have a headline, and the headline is saying five things you need to know about about security, right, or safety. You would usually write the word five. That was like good journalism or whatever. But it's in in the whole marketing and Google world. There's overwhelming research that you should write the number because people will click more, people will open this more and, and things like this. And there's a lot of other things that are just very basic. And in marketing, you can measure this so well. It's just proven, right? So there's so much knowledge out there. Just grab the knowledge. How long should a good headline be? They know this in marketing, right? Go there, grab that knowledge. It's funny because we do very little A-B testing in IC, but you would never dream of doing a, a, a marketing campaign without some A-B testing first. You'd never dream of it. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you all the way. <laughs> when you think of the world's best communicator, alive or dead, who comes to mind? I would, again, pick a group, and I would pick a group of communicators that we've seen during COVID-19. And uh, many of them actually were also women in, in, this, in this crisis that were just honest, were just very authentic and very telling the truth. And I think that the big challenge was always to, you have millions of people and you have tough measures and get them all behind you and everyone agree, yes, let's do this. Let's be, we are in this together. And I think we've seen so many great examples where people really did this in a fantastic way. We've also obviously seen examples where this went very wrong, um, but it's um, there is so much good examples and advice out there how people have done that. I think that's fantastic. I read a quote the other day that no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And it's when people have pulled themselves into the message and shown how much it matters to them 
that they get their message across and that we all stay safe and we look after each other. That's when we're all connecting and doing what everyone's saying we should be doing. And then they're following the guidelines. So it's been a big lesson in the importance of honesty and authenticity, I think, hasn't it? So. Absolutely. And also the way, the, the basic understanding and idea, it's if you don't know what's going on, still go out there and say, here I am. We don't know what's going on so far. We are right in the middle of finding this out, right? Um, I will be here to, to, tomorrow, the same time and tell you next. So that's great. Everyone knows. Everyone can relax. They know at the same, at the next day, they listen in again. Fantastic, right? Absolutely. So finally, we give you a billboard, a kind of metaphorical billboard for millions of people to see. And you can write on that, whatever you like. So what message are you going to put on your billboard? Um, I think the, the initial thought uh, would be something around our business because we want to to uh, make it grow and, and, and thrive and so on. But I think um, if I take two steps back, I would say we all, our generation and probably generations to come, they have, there's this one big issue, which is, which is climate change. It's, will be there and it's, it's, uh, yeah, uh, topping everything else. And there's so much still going wrong in that regard. I've, I've just read today 20 firms in the world are behind a third of all carbon emissions altogether. So there's a lot, still a lot of money earned with carbon emissions and a lot of things going on. And, and I think we will see change as soon as the money speaks and as soon as we have the regulation, the rules. We see with COVID-19 what's possible, how people can change their behavior. So I would probably use the billboard to, to point that out because I think that's, uh, yeah, it's the toughest one of all. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we see through the Edelman survey every year how people are believing and trusting most in, in messages from their employer, you know, where trust in media is going down, trust in um, governments and um, even NGOs. But I trust what my employer is telling me. And I'm wondering whether we are entering this new era where it's actually going to be businesses that solve these big planetary problems. And they, if they put their weight and their might and their collective wisdom behind it, you know, I'm not sure we can wait for governments to do it. I think it might be business that has to lead the way. I, I think, and you've seen things like Microsoft saying until I think 2030, they want to be zero uh, emission company and they even want to erase all carbon emissions they ever did in the company history with money. I think that's the, that's the, that's the way uh, to follow. And that's every company that makes big profits today should have should have uh, such a program running. I mean, the really smart thing on, on this is, well, make brilliant products that happen to be green, but they're just brilliant products and services anyway. I mean, Tesla is a great example of this. I mean, my kids want a Tesla and I'm not sure it's because it's a carbon neutral car. I think it's just because it's dead cool. That's the, that's the answer to a lot of these problems, isn't it? I'm guessing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Frank, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks a lot for having me. So it was really fun. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Internal Comms Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, I'd be extremely grateful if you could rate it on your podcast platform, because that increases the chances of us being discoverable for other IC pros out there. 
Thank you very much. To find out more about the books and the other resources that Frank and I mentioned, head over to the show notes at our website. That's abcom, abcom.co.uk forward slash podcasts. You'll find the show notes there and all the show notes to our previous episodes. While you're on our site, do sign up for our monthly IC newsletter. It's called I Saw This and Thought of You. It'll give you updates on the show, plus other newsy nuggets from the world of internal comms. We have some great guests coming up for you. I'm particularly excited to bring you an episode with Chris Voss, an ex-FBI hostage negotiator. It was a fantastic conversation. And also an interview with Dr. Valerie Young, a leading expert and author on imposter syndrome. You may want to hit the subscribe button right now. So all that remains is to say thank you. Thank you for choosing the Internal Comms podcast. And until we meet again, lovely listeners, stay safe and well. And remember, it's what's inside that counts.